So imagine Apple and Tesla would join forces to make a bicycle. Surely they wouldn't take standard parts but instead build it from the ground up. With integrated lights and own saddles, steering, grips, a smart way to lock it. And then they would go and create a big hype around it and sell it at a somewhat upscale price point. This almost accurately resembles the story of Van Move. Van Move was founded in 2009 by Taco and Tiscalier, two Dutch brothers with a game purpose to make cities better and humans happier. They've moved beyond their Amsterdam-centric worldview and now have brand stores in Berlin, in London, New York, Paris, San Francisco, Taipei and Tokyo. All large cities where Van Move challenges car manufacturers rather than other bike companies as the best mode of commuting. The numbers seem to prove them right. They've collected the biggest pre-order in bike history with a volume of around 30 million euros. All for a new growth strategy which also features a subscription service for bikes but we'll get into that later. Welcome to The Idealists, I'm Simon and as always I'm here with my co-host Celia. We took the opportunity to meet Taco Carlier in their garage slash headquarters slash brand store in Amsterdam. Taco, a problem solver by nature, studied industrial design and started another company before turning towards the consumer bike industry. Together with his brother, he co-founded Move in 2009. Everything Taco and his team build revolve around their customers. Steadily improving their products and services makes them one of the companies that work from vision and value backwards. Even if this means forgetting to celebrate the 10-year anniversary in the spring of 2019. Yeah, crazy year. Our company has doubled in size for uh, five years in a row now. But uh, yeah, doubling gets harder uh, every year. We still want to uh, um, double next year again. But um, yeah, this, so it was a crazy year, definitely. And doubling you mean by headcount or by revenue or altogether? We've doubled in, in revenue, mm -hmm. yes, yeah. for, for five years in a row, right. yes. And if you take us back 10 years, you founded a company with your brother, right? Yes. Originally did, 2009. Paint a picture for us, 2009, what was it like? Yeah, actually it started in New York, which is quite funny. You always have to go to another city to see uh, how great your own city is. So uh, it started, of course, a little bit earlier because 2009 was the introduction of our first model. So we started around uh, 2006, 2007. We... Uh, me and my brother were already entrepreneurs together. We had a company in which we uh, we were both industrial designers. So we had a company together where we created products for the event industry. And uh, we have done that for 10 years. For that first company, we were traveling a lot. And being Dutch, when you travel, you always rent a bike, of course. Because bikes are the greatest way to discover and explore new cities. You end up in neighborhoods where tourists would never uh, end up. So this time we were in New York and I was shattered by uh, how good of a cycling city it was. Everybody <laughs> said it's scary. Already and, uh, back then? Yeah. Yeah, and so we were we were together. We were cycling in New York, and we found it out that yeah, that is such a great city for cycling. And um, so we started think being industrial designers. We started thinking, why are not more people cycling here? And uh, so we went to bicycle shops, uh, started checking out what they were selling. Why is everybody cycling here on fixie bikes, racing bikes? So then we started thinking about our, our home cities, uh, uh, our hometown, Amsterdam, where nowadays 55% of all uh, commutes is on a bike. So the other 45% is 
split between cars, uh, public transport and pedestrians. So how can we turn uh, New York into Amsterdam again? That's when we started thinking, how can we uh, redesign the traditional Dutch, we say, but I think it's a little bit, you could also say European, the traditional European commuter bike into a bike that can be used in cities around the globe. So that's where the original idea popped up uh, back in 2007. Then we started sketching, designing, and it took us two years before we launched the first uh, model, the, 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 the FanMove 1. And the company back then was still called Move, M-O-O-F, but we got some uh, other company who told us we were not allowed to use mm-hmm. that name. So okay. we put a van in front of it because it's it sounded so... It is a, a wink to the Netherlands. In the right. Netherlands, you have a, a lot of names with van in front mm-hmm. of it. It's a like Gus Van Zandt and Armin Van Buren and Vanderbilt. <laughs> and it just sounds so cool in the uh, in, in English. Right. So um, um, we started like this. And the, the original idea, and, and actually that's still uh, the idea. Everything changed. But the original idea stayed the same, uh, our original mission. And that was to get just as many people on bikes in uh, San Francisco, New York, Paris, London, Berlin, and Tokyo, as we have in Amsterdam, which you can also uh, say as we have in Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> yeah, the amount of Amsterdam and, and, and Copenhagen always compete as the two best cycling cities. Which is cities. the original cycling yeah. city. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Amsterdam is the original. I think uh, <laughs> Copenhagen is doing better uh, now for a few years in a row. They invest much more in uh, in great bicycle lanes and Amsterdam had to a lot of issues with, uh, yes, scooters we call it in Dutch, but it's it's the mopeds, it's the uh, Italian... Um, the best uh, bars in this, yes. Yes, not the e-scooters. Not, not the e-scooters, e-scooters right. which is a whole different Different problem. topic. We're going to talk about them. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite topic. <laughs> but um, so uh, that was the original idea. We cannot uh, change those cities. We cannot change the cities to adapt to cycling. Let's change the bikes so we can get more people uh, on bikes in those cities. So that was kind of a pull effect of having, you know, more people wanting to be on bikes and then the cities reacting to, to it and, and, you know, adapting the infrastructure to it? Or yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's um, uh, how it started in Amsterdam too. I don't know about the cycling history of Copenhagen that much, but I do know that everybody thinks now that there has been always bikes in Amsterdam. It's not the case. In the 60s, it was all cars. Mm-hmm. All bikes had vanished, right. mm-hmm. 50s, 60s, and then... Uh, yeah, they were called the Provos. Uh, a group of hippie dwarfs right. uh, started with the white bicycle plan. They started with the massive bike rides against, and then it's all. So it was. It came from the people. The people mm. demanded more cycling infrastructure, and then it started in Amsterdam. And from that moment, it went on and on and on. And now we're in fifty-five percent and growing. Mm-hmm. It's still growing the amount of uh, of, of commutes on bike. So. I think the amounts uh, of people in, on bikes completely changed Amsterdam. It's a healthier city. It's greener. There's less noise pollution. People are healthier. Um, uh, we believe bikes can change cities for good. So that's what we want to bring to uh, those cities too. But then we had a big issue because after, uh, so we introduced the first model in 2009. It was selling like crazy in the Netherlands. And that was because of the design or what do you think was the secret sauce? Yeah, the design the and the and the design design philosophy, like uh, stripping everything that was redundant, only focus on uh, on the, the core parts, a very light urban commuter bike with everything integrated, lights integrated, lock integrated, 
cables integrated. So yeah, it's completely... And your first design already had all these features built in? Or? Yeah, it's lo- it started with integrated lights only and then it went on and on and on. And, and what we did is completely not redesign the bike, but also redesign the process of making a bike. Mm-hmm. So that was always been our approach. And I think that was... Um, it was oh yeah, so what was the issue? The bikes were a big success in, uh, in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. But uh, it didn't uh, really take off in uh, in the US and in the rest of Europe. Do you think that has to do because you know the Dutch market or the European market a lot better than, for example, the US market? Or why why was it a hit from day one here and not in other countries? Yeah, that's um, so I found out three years later, we were opening a, a store in, Amster- in uh, New York. And I was in uh, New York for eight weeks and I cycled every uh, every day from mm-hmm. my Airbnb apartment to my store. And I found out that it's completely impossible to cycle to your work because it's too hilly. It's too big. I mean, uh, from Central Park to downtown Brooklyn, I think it's 10 or 12 kilometer. It's crazy how big that city is. And it's too much humidity in the, in the summer. So... Yeah, that was the moment when I thought, yeah, we've been too arrogant. We've been, we've wanted to uh, copy the Dutch way of cycling to the rest of the world, but the rest of the world looks different. There's a reason that people in Copenhagen and Amsterdam cycle, because both cities are flat, a nice climate, and they're pretty dense. So then... Uh, the real that was the real eye opener for me, and that's when we uh, realized that to change the world, you need electric bikes. And that changed everything. Uh, of course, I have seen, I had seen electric bikes before back then because uh, all the elderly in the Netherlands were uh, were riding electric mm-hmm. bikes. But I never realized that that was the that they were perfect for commuting too. And not in Amsterdam and Copenhagen. You don't need it there. It's uh, uh, you do need them in San Francisco, New York, and Paris, London, and uh, Berlin and Tokyo. So I believe that the rise of electric bikes. And the fact that there are electric bikes now popping up that are made for commuters, like our Vermoes and some others, that will completely change those cities. Because if, and we saw that in Amsterdam in Copenhagen, if a city is equipped for cycling, cyclists will pop up automatically because it's by far the most efficient, uh, fun, healthy way of transport. I mean, it's... uh, in, in New York, I'm from, from Central Park to downtown Brooklyn. I do that in, in, I think, 14 to 18 minutes, my record, on electric bike. Uh, even in, during the night uh, with an Uber, it's not that fast. Uh, with public transport, it's, not, it's the fastest way to move around in a modern city. And therefore, I believe electric bikes will change those cities. So that was the moment when everything changed. So then what we, we changed the entire company, uh, focused all on electric bikes, and uh, that was back in 2011, back in 2012. And then in 2014, we launched our first electric commuter bike. How big was the change from going non, not, not electric, well-designed and integrated parts to like fully integrated electrical? How much of a engineering and design challenge was this? Yeah, a lot, because it was a big challenge, but we had two advantages. The first was that we did not meant it to be that, but our bikes were already very suited to integrate electronics and batteries and everything, because we've always had the idea that we should open up uh, the bicycle frame 
to integrate parts. And the idea was to integrate locks and maybe an umbrella holder and uh, all kind of stuff. But that's what we've been working on in the first three years of Move. So when the idea popped up to make it electric, we already had the big tubes and all the openings in, in uh, we already had completely redesigned the bike to uh, fill it up with uh, with elect- electronic parts. Uh, that was the first thing. And the second thing is that me and my brother already had 10 years uh, experience in the design of electronic software and integration with hardware in our first company. So everything uh, fell together. So, but it still took us uh, three years and some hard, uh, it was quite a hard challenge because the bike industry was shifting away from yeah, like the add-on batteries. Mm-hmm. They were switching from front motors to mid motors, which we didn't believe in. So we did have to redesign the entire bike to turn it into an electric bike. So it took us two and a half to three years. And then in 2015, we launched the beta version. And in 2016, we launched the S1. And then the company started growing like crazy. And now uh, we're uh, with about uh, 200 people and with we have eight brand stores, uh, San Francisco, New York, Paris, London, Amsterdam, Berlin, and Tokyo, and a little one in Taipei. And we sell bikes all over the world. Mm-hmm. And let me pause on that um, integration part because I think that's like a big... A unique selling point maybe for Van Move, but also if you say, okay, 80% of the parts are non-standard parts, also makes you kind of vulnerable in, in a sense that you have to be there if something breaks, right? That's also maybe part of your philosophy to be in the cities and be close to to your riders, close to your users. In, in yeah, that, in for that sure. That's why we opened uh, the brand stores. But it is true. There is um, the fact that every bike has the same parts is useful when you bring it to a bike shop. Because if you bring in a uh, yeah, traditional Dutch bike in a Copenhagen bike store, they can replace it with a standard light. So that's the, the, the advantage. Uh, but it has so many disadvantages because all the innovation has to come from the suppliers. And they don't, uh, because we only sell direct to the consumers. We have such a direct relationship with the consumers. We know what's uh, what's going wrong with the bike. We know how we can improve it. We know what the consumers want. So we can, together with them, we can improve the bike. And for instance, for instance, yeah, the integrated lights that works. 10 times better than the old-fashioned lights because there are no wires, no external dynamo. Everything is integrated so it never breaks. So that's just one example. We now have the the anti-theft tracking integrated. So that's the Bluetooth and uh, Vodafone 3G connection inside the bike. So we can find all bikes uh, back when they're stolen. We even guarantee that. So if your bike is stolen, we have two weeks to find it back. If we cannot find it back, you get a new one, guaranteed. That kind of innovation can only be possible if you integrate the design. And if you, um, let me give you one example. If a VanMove is stolen, you can send a message uh, via the smart, via the VanMove smartphone app to the bike. And then uh, the, um, the motor doesn't work anymore. The lights start blinking in an SOS signal. It starts to make irritating noises and the lock doesn't work anymore. And it starts tracking its position. No other bike brand can copy that because they have all these different suppliers and not an integrated computer for all those 
parts. We do have that. So therefore we can create a much better consumer experience by integrating uh, all those parts. But it's hard to get there because you only uh, have the advantages if you have redesigned everything. If you just have a traditional bike with an integrated uh, light, yeah, then it's just irritating. Mm -hmm. But you have to do uh, everything. So it's very hard to to come to the point where we are now. Yeah, and there's probably a reason media calls you the the Apple or the Tesla of e-bikes or bikes, right? I think Apple have followed the same principle of integrating software and hardware in the beginning. Exactly, yeah, we, we copy a lot from uh, Apple on every uh, aspect. I think, I don't want to compare ourselves to, to Apple, I mean, there's their a billion times bigger, but they did some, from an industrial design perspective, they did some awesome things. And I think a, a, a cool comparison is in the 80s when you bought a computer, you bought the computer on the specs. So you bought, uh, I, I don't know, an IBM computer because it had that specific hard drive and it had that specific video card. Nowadays, we even know, know that anymore. And then Apple came and say, yeah, we have just one white box. We don't tell what's inside, but it's just a good computer. And I think that's, uh, and 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 the funny thing is that the, the computer stores and the, the 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 real computer addicts they didn't like it they hated mm-hmm. it because mm-hmm. they wanted to uh, they had inside. all this knowledge and they wanted to see what's Modify outside it. and they want to to help their customers and they want to re- repair it by taking uh, parts out and and putting other parts in but. Uh, Apple proved that it works much better if you integrate all those parts and uh, design it as a as a complete product together with the software, and then it just works better. And they also proved that they, yes, the computer nerds they didn't want that. That's five percent of the market, but ninety five percent of the the people just wanted to work on a computer. They just wanted to use Word and uh, and, and be on the internet. That's what 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 Apple supplied. I think that's what we're aiming to. We're not there for the bicycle freaks who uh, travel to uh, on a bike to uh, to Morocco. I don't know. It's great too, but that's another part of the market. We just want to be there for people that just want to commute uh, to their work on uh, sometimes and just want a, a worry-free bike. Right. But the kind of parallels to Apple are uncanny in a way that you are, or Apple turns now into a service company, right? They integrated the products, I think, very successfully, as you described, but now they're turning into a service company with, you know, streaming services yeah. and uh, banking services now, right? So there's a lot of, a big shift coming, uh, going kind of away from the product and then more into services, which yeah. leads us now to to your kind of new idea or venture is uh, to to offer VanMove bikes as a subscription service. Yeah. Can you tell yeah, us a the, little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, the idea of VanMove Plus, which is a subscription service on a VanMove, came from the fact that, uh, so everybody who, who makes a test ride on a VanMove in in, uh, in America, London or, or Paris loves the bike. But for, especially for uh, people in cities that didn't, are not that used to cycling. Uh, 2,800 is a lot of, uh, which is the cost price for a move right now. Yeah, it's a lot of money to spend on a bike uh, if you never bought a bike in your life before. But if you look at the long term, most, most people use this bike for, for three to five years and afterwards can even be sold secondhand. It's very cheap. 
So we thought about that. We also thought about, uh, yeah, we want all those bikes back. Uh, people, uh, we don't know where the bikes are after three to five years. We we rather have them back so we can uh, upgrade them, uh, refurbish them and sell them to, yeah, as, sell them as refurbished bikes. So that together led for us to a subscription service where people don't buy the bike anymore, but they just pay a, a fee. And they can stop whenever they want and just can ride the bike and insurance and maintenance is included so that they just have uh, even more worry-free cycling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do you handle that kind of both-handedness with, on the one hand, innovating and, and inventing new products and on the other hand, innovating services like, for example, the bike theft protection or the bike services in, in your brand stores? It's like... How do you handle that ambidextrous relationships to services and products? Yeah, that was why I was so uh, busy in the spring. <laughs> and, and, and I've been very busy in the past 10 years. It's really hard. And uh, sometimes I drive the people here completely crazy because they just have finished a new upgrade or a new model. And then we are, are changing the business model again. Um, and then also we do everything in-house. We, we believe in integration, uh, that it works better if, if everything is built by ourselves. So the back end of the anti-theft uh, guarantee, but also the back end of the, uh, of the subscription service and should be completely worked together with the bikes. It's not the case yet that you could swipe your credit card on your bike, but uh, uh, that not would, yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Who knows? Um, it's just pushing really hard. Yeah, we are on a mission. We wanna. We believe we can. We can change cities for good. And uh, so people who work here have to work uh, hard and accept the fact that we are ever changing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you say you have, um, as a company and maybe as a person as well, a challenger mindset? Uh, what do you mean? Sorry, a challenger mindset. You're completely right, and sometimes we uh, we think we're crazy. Um, and is that something that comes from you and your brother, like yeah. the founders, that you're always pushing and questioning the norm and kind of ne- yeah never be satisfied? Or no, that's completely yeah. true. We we um, yeah we believe in this. We believe we can change cities if we do this right. If if we look at a design perspective, we love uh, designing uh, the bike in the way it's produced, but we also love to design companies. We think it's almost the same. It's You can always say the in the bikes, the software and the hardware is merged, but the company is also built around the bike. It's not a normal company. It's it's a company that's uh, is perfectly merged with the products we sell. We are a product-focused company, and I think that's important. So, And do you think if you would leave the company, that this spirit could live on now with through your employees and the people you... Um, along the way onboarded to the team that they have the same spirit and they have the same mission and or or is it still connected to you and your brother good question i think we we cannot both leave f4 now uh, we can but then the company the growth will slow down and uh no if you really want to disrupt the market uh, you need some dictators and i'm not saying that we are dictators but you need some a small management team who's completely in charge who owns the company you need the entrepreneurial spirit if this company would be led by a management team it just goes slower and it doesn't say that that's uh that's bad or that's less good but if you if you want to go quick go alone and if you want to go far go with a group so now we're in the phase of going quick and as, as we grow bigger, we're slowly converging uh, from an entrepreneurial company to a, to a more traditional company. Uh, but that's not, 
yet. We first have to fix, uh, it completely introduce uh, subscriptions. Uh, then we have one or two more plans, which we think uh, are uh, necessary for to be a global direct-to-consumer uh, bicycle brand that really helps the consumers out. Then we can probably step a little bit back. It's uh, well. I think it will take another two to three years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And talking about disruption and talking about global disruption, right? We're talking about cities introducing physical stores, brick and mortar stores in in cities around the world. Uh, money is obviously one uh, a, a weapon of choice or the the thing you have to to fight with. And you just recently. Um, gathered a lot of your riders, um, crowdfunding uh, a big campaign. I think two and a half million euros uh, came from your from your riders or your your, your fan base, and another twelve point five million from a bank loan. I think. So there's, I think, in total, like almost 20 million flowing into the company. Uh, yeah, the crowdfunding right was even more. It was seven and a half million. Okay. Uh, two and a half million was public and five million was a close round. Uh, but the cool thing about the public campaign, two and a half million, was that uh, the campaign, campaign was intended to launch on Thursday morning. But Wednesday morning, we've already pre-informed our own customers uh, that the campaign was coming. So we opened it one day earlier for our customers and then it was filled after nine hours. So even before the launch, we almost brought the crowdfunding company into uh, problems because <laughs> they were not able to inform their uh, back base, their uh, database that this was coming. And they, if they would have to communicate, yes, there was a new, there was a new campaign, but it's already closed. Huh. So um, yeah, that was a real cool moment uh, two months ago. And then we acquired the loan from the Dutch Rabo Bank. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And with that kind of new fuel, new money in, in the bank, what, what is the next, what are the next big three steps for Van Move in the next years? So it's always, uh, we're always working on the new models. And for us, working on new models is, is redesigning even more parts in our own house, changing the parts. And the cool thing about that is like seven years ago, it was 80% uh, hardware development and 20% software development. And now it's turning around to 20% hardware and 70 to 80% software development. Uh, so investing in the embedded software of the bike, improvement of the smartphone apps and improvement of the, of the backends and the, uh, the order process. And with that mission of better cities and happier humans living in the city is, do you think your big, biggest competitors are within the bike sector or within the mobility sector or is it even maybe even the cities itself with you know supplying infrastructure or supporting that change towards a more bike friendlier environment no our biggest uh, competitor is uh, is the cars we want to get the cars out of the cities so uh, uber uh, uber is a big competitor especially look at if you look at the american uh, market now so many ubers riding around And I would love to get some of those people out of the cars and onto bikes. And uh, you'll see that if we, we, we did some research with our own uh, consumers and uh, for all of them, it's their first e-bike they got. And for all of them, it's, uh, they're saying, yeah, I've used to ride a car and uh, now I'm using a, an e-bike. Right. Not all the time. I think cars are great if, you, if it rains or uh, if you have to go further, but within a city, it just doesn't make any sense at all and uh, more and more people starting to realize that right and you also say that 70 percent of your 
customers use their Vanmoof as their primary vehicle, right? This, this is something yeah. which which underlines that shift from people actually, you know, not just buying an additional bike, but also having the first primary choice of mobility in their bike, right? This, exactly, uh, yeah. So for Amsterdam and Copenhagen, it doesn't make much sense to ride mm-hmm. around with, a, with an e-bike, but it does make sense for uh, suburbs. Uh, so in Amsterdam, um, you have surrounding cities like Haarlem, Almere, uh, Schiphol. Those distances, it's, it's like 14 to 20 kilometer. You would never uh, ride that on a traditional bike on your work because you uh, would arrive sweaty and it takes too much time. But if you do it on an e-bike... Uh, Haarlem Amsterdam takes uh, on average uh, 35 to 45 minutes with a car even without much traffic jams and on a bike it's it's one hour so you only lose 15 minutes but you arrive healthy and yeah and 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 the daily workout is sort of included yeah that without sweating but just uh, it research after research it's proof it's been proven that uh, you don't have to work out it's just the the motion that's enough that's to mm-hmm. to, to to keep people healthy yeah, that's probably also why the small e-scooters are uh, like a, a topic. Which, wh- wh- what's your opinion on that? Because um, yeah, a lot I of think people uh, e-scooters are are great for small distances, so it could be an alternative. What I don't understand at the moment is the e-scooter sharing. That doesn't make any sense for me. And for me, is a huge waste of materials. And uh, I heard that the average sharing uh, shareable e-scooter has an has a lifespan of twenty eight days. Uh, and all these companies are presenting this as a as a durable, shareable solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't believe in you it. Don't I buy think it. I don't buy it. I do believe in an e-scooter, but uh, I believe e-scooters are perfect to own. I mean, uh, when you can store it, you can take it with you in uh, public transport, and you can uh, store it under your uh, desk. That's why they are so perfect. And sharing those things, leaving them on the street so others can take them and molest them, that doesn't doesn't make any sense to me. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, millions, billions of euros are flowing in that market. I think we're going to see the same as what happened with the free-floating uh, bike sharing from Mobike and Ovo. That also was a yeah a big hype two years ago, and now it's yeah almost not there so anymore. A passing a passing grant for you. Yeah. Yeah. We do see some very interesting uh, sharing uh, systems pop up, and that's the e-bike sharing. Jump is the um, e-bike sharing uh, division of Uber, and, and Lyft has, has e-bike sharing too. I think Bird now too. Uh, yeah, that can be something great, in, in especially that combination between uh, yeah taxi driving and car in the same systems. I do believe in that. I think it's great for, for tourists or uh, visitors. Uh, it's also a great sales channel for us because people, uh, for example, in San Francisco, you have a lot of people who use the electric bikes for jump. And then after half a year, they learn how great e-bikes are. Mm-hmm. Um, but after half a uh, year, they, they do want their own and they do want to have the, uh, the extra comfort of having their own bike. And then they uh, come to our stores. So that's uh, my ideas on, on, on sharing and e-bike sharing. And you talked about direct-to-consumer brand. Yes. Was that a conscious decision 
Or was it the only way for you to, to build a brand and a company today? No, the first four years we were not direct to consumers. We sold to uh, uh, via distributors and via uh, stores. And But um, we realized that innovation and uh, traditional uh, sales channels don't go well together. Uh, I think you, you saw the same with Apple. That it, it kicked off when they started their own stores because the traditional computer stores that we were discussing before, they wanted to be uh, they, they wanted to set up their own computers so I think yeah consumers loved our bikes but the bike shops didn't and because they couldn't uh, yeah it was it was not standard for them and they and they're not open to now some of them are but mo the majority is not open to new stuff because they're just doing their own uh, business and they're right. I mean, you cannot, for every uh, new guy who come up with the idea, you cannot change your business model. But um, yeah, we wanted to change cities. So we had to do it our own. So that's why we went uh, direct. And yeah, afterwards we learned that that's now one of the biggest uh, advantages because we know our customers. When we when they have an issue, we learn that right away. We have you can the, just ask them. Yeah, and mm. we ask them, or um, the people in the store asked it and 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 tell it to us. So when there's an issue with a bike, we probably know it within hours, and we can immediately change, uh, send it over to R and D or production to change what's not good. And that's really important. And also because we learn about how much bikes are stolen, so we can offer the anti-bike theft. We learn how long our bikes last, so we can offer subscriptions. So then the whole yeah, environment uh, closes. Yeah, then you're able to fulfill the needs of the customer much, much better. Therefore, I'm a strong believer of direct sales. And I, I believe all consumer, uh, how do you say, durable goods, consumer brands go uh, will go direct in the next 20 years. Because the other way around, it's impossible to create an experience through wholesale. That's also so important. People learn from our brand, uh, from the media or from social media or from great podcasts <laughs> like yours. And then they're excited about the brand and then they come to a traditional store. Maybe they bump into someone who's not such a fan of the brand and are they, it doesn't look good. And yeah, then uh, they're not satisfied. So the modern consumer who's traveling the world, he wants the same experience, modern experience uh, everywhere around the globe so therefore we have to be there yeah it's also a, a lot of our consumers they they uh, our customers they um uh, maybe they, they live in copenhagen buy a bike there and then go to uh, to new york with their bike so they must be able to get the same treatment as everywhere around the globe the second last question maybe i'm turning more towards um the your company itself, how did it change when you talk about you transferred from a product company to more a software company, right? And majority of your, your staff is now into software yeah. development. And how did that change recruiting and, and the mindset of the company? Or did it change? No, I think the software engineers we have are all into hardware too. That's the what they like the most. And it's for us, it's compared to other companies, pretty easy to find uh, great software uh, engineers, but because they love it's so much cooler to work on a, a smartphone app connecting with a bike uh, it's so touchable it's so easy to understand and when you change something you immediately and you ride home on your own bike you immediately see the advantages 
and that's such another uh, job as as improving banking software or something. Right. So, and the core of our company is into innovation, into product. And I think every department here is in uh, somehow involved in product design. If you are, no matter if you're in finance, operations, marketing, or R&D, they're all creating their own product to improve the big core product, mm-hmm. which is the bike. Uh, so it did not change a lot for us when when we turned into a service company. Yeah, it's the same. And if you, I mean, you have now one decade behind you. Yeah. If you look out for the next 10 years, what is like the dream plan or the dream scenario for FanMove? Uh, the dream scenario is very simple. We want uh, that we've helped a bit to get more people in San Francisco, New York, Paris, London, Berlin, Tokyo on bikes. And hopefully uh, a lot of them on on move bikes, uh, but it takes longer. I think this is a, because when we get more people, we need more, more bike lanes. It took Amsterdam from the 60s till now 50 years to turn into a great cycling city. And I think it's a, it will, I think New York, San Francisco uh, can do it a little bit faster, but still. Um, so in 10 years, we will only see the beginning of cities that slowly turn a little bit more into Amsterdam and Copenhagen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to know more, head over to theidealist.co. As always, there's one more thing we ask our guests, which is, who should we talk to next? I would uh, suggest to meet Case Arts and Tariq Asawala. They're the founders of Protex. They uh, collect waste and have uh, larves eat that. So, and then they feed the larves to the fish in Norway. So they don't have to catch, uh, nowadays they catch small fish in the oceans to feed to the salmon. And they, uh, they grow larves with waste. And these guys are pros and they're going big. They really make a difference. They have a large, an incredibly large factory in, uh, in the south of the Netherlands. And also building large uh, factories all over the world to collect uh, waste and turn that into uh, fish food.